that object be representative of your childhood. And then I want you to think about if you had to pick an object that you could use to represent your life right now, what that object would be. So think about the childhood you, the adult you, or if you're somewhere in between, however that fits for you. But think about what those objects would be that represent you as a child and as an adult. And then think about why they would represent you. I want to read from Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading uh, starting in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of David and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. What kind of king would do that? What, what kind of king would come from a place like heaven to a place like earth? And we're going to talk about that today as we talk about the crib, the cross, and the crown. But I really like the concept of a song by Third Day called Manger Throne. And it talks about a king that would come to a manger for his throne. I don't know about your birth story or how you were announced to the world I was announced as a surprise, but nothing significant or world-changing happened when I arrived, when I came into this world. There was, there was no star that, that led away to, to my house. There were no shepherds, no wise men. The wisest people around me were the doctors. Uh, but the great news for us is quite simply that God's own son was born just as he prophesied. And he came... And he was placed in a manger. From the very beginning, the manger was his throne. You see, the the amusingness of that crib, of that manger right there, is that dirty manger was a throne for the Prince of Peace, who would one day be our Savior King. God sent his best. His only son as the replacement for our sin. He gave Christ so that we might be free from sin. He gave so that we would have life and have it to the fullest. He gave his son so that we'd never have to face a lonely night or the loss of a loved one alone or a struggle or a hardship by ourselves. At this time, as we continue to worship We're going to prepare to give back to God with our gifts in the form of tithes and offerings. And as we prepare to give today, I want you to give with a glad and sincere heart. Give back, God, the first fruits of your labor, not the leftovers. Remember this, as you give today, it's not the amount that's important. It's the heart of the giver. God gave his only son, and we can never outgive God, but we can give with grateful, glad and joyous hearts. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you. As we have opportunity just to give back just something that resembles us. 
It's a small token of gratitude and gratefulness for what you've done for us. And it's always, it's said often in our circle that we can't outgive you because we know you've given the very best. Your son came in the form of a baby and he grew and he gave his life for us. And so we thank you for that. And I pray that we understand our blessings from you. I pray that as we give today, as we give every day that we give to you, that it's with gratefulness, it's with a glad heart, it's with sincerity. I pray that what's collected here, you will bless and multiply, and it can be used uh, in the ways that are according to your will for your kingdom and, and to just further your work here on earth. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. As we move away from the crib, Jesus grows into adulthood. He is baptized by John the Baptist, and he begins his ministry by spending 40 days fasting in the desert. Now, the reason his time in the desert is meaningful to us as Christians today is because as Satan tempted him, if he would have given in to any one of those temptations of Satan, he would have never made it to the cross. We should gain courage and take comfort knowing that from the very beginning of Christ's ministry on earth... We were at the forefront of his mind. And because of that, he was able to endure the torment, the mocking, the betrayal of his friends. He was able to forgive all the way to the end. Look at what Luke chapter 23 says, starting with verse 32, about Jesus and the the other men on the crosses with him. Verse 32 says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, it's that cross... It brings us to this point of paradise. It's also another reason we're here. How would you describe the death of Jesus to someone? How would you explain to them what his death was all about? I appreciate what the the centurion's response was. I'm going to read that here in just a second. But what does this centurion's response tell us about Christ's actions leading up to his death on the cross? As we prepare for our time of communion, I want you to think about those things as I read from Luke chapter 23, 
verses 44 through 49. Verse 44 says, It was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and they went away. But all of those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Having read these words, I would like for us to respond now by having a time of communion. And I want to invite you to take communion as as we pass the emblems, remembering that the juice uh, reminds us of his blood that was spilled out for our sins, and the bread reminds us of his body that was offered up for our sins as the final perfect sacrifice. And also remember that the story doesn't end with his death on the cross. Father God, as we take this time and we remember what your son has done for us, what you have done for us, I pray that we'll reflect on what we do for you. And if our response right now is a time of of recommitment, a time of asking forgiveness, a time of examining ourselves before you. I pray that you would forgive us for our sins. And that's the whole reason you sent your son. I thank you for his sacrifice. Amen. Today we've looked at the birth of Christ in the form of the crib. We've looked at his death on the cross, and now I want to look at what he is still doing for us as we focus on the crown. We're living in those days between the cross and crown. And as we look forward to that time, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 says this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, and after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this, excuse me, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven 
will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. But before this took place, Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room in John 14, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms, if it were not so. Would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. According to the Bible, Jesus is in heaven. He's preparing a place for us. He has risen. He has risen. He has risen indeed. And because he has risen, we look forward to the time when we will join him in heaven, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Will you stand and sing that with us? Can you imagine that? But rising from the dead is not enough for our king. He's so much more than just a conqueror of death. As we come to our response time today, as we've talked about the crib and the cross and the crown, I want you to listen as Joe shares with us part of a sermon by the late preacher S.M. Lockridge. I pray that these words will encourage you. Let these words change the way that you see the crib, the cross, and the crown. Let these words resonate in the way you live your life from this day on. I want more than ever for every one of us to know our King, to believe that He is who He says He is, and for our hope to always be in Him. Do you know Him? Do you think you know Him? Let me reintroduce you to Him, because He is my King, and He lives The Bible says that my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of ages. He's a king of heaven, and he's a king of glory. He's a king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. Yes, that's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's endurably strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled and he's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. And do you know him? He supplies strength to the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. 
He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Until you know him. Well, he's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the pathway to peace. He's the doorway to deliverance. He's the roadway to righteousness. He's the highway to holiness. And he's the gateway to glory. Do you know him today? My king, well, his life is matchless. His his goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His word is enough. His love never changes. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but but he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You, you can't get him out of your mind and you can't get him out of your head. Well, you can't outlive him and you can't live without him. You, the Pharisees, they, they couldn't stand him, but they found they couldn't stop him. And Pilate, he couldn't find any fault in him. And Herod couldn't kill him. Well, the death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold Jesus, do you know him? From the crib to the cross to the crown, will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you. Thank you for our King Jesus. I thank you that death couldn't hold him, that sin couldn't keep him. I thank you that his love is limitless. I thank you for all those things that just described him. And I pray, Lord, that that we will let those things resonate in us this week, that we will know without a doubt that our King, our Savior King, is raised from the dead, that he lives, that he is preparing a place for us that is just unimaginable. But it's going to be so worth it when we get there. And I pray that we gather hope and strength through these things. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We stand in He overcame all those things. And now he's preparing a place for us. And because our Savior came to earth in the manger throne in a crib... Because he has risen from the dead, he beat death on a cross. Because he now wears a crown of righteousness and is preparing a place for us. I'm so grateful for those things. And I pray that as you go this week, you'll remember each of those. And you'll be a reflection of him wherever you go. Next week, having said all this today, we start the party. Okay? Yeah. Our new series is called Celebrate. I hope you'll come, you'll be here and continue to celebrate with us on the good news that we have heard today. Have a great week.